0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investment helps support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, August 17th, we are beginning a new series here on Sharper Iron that will take us through the Book of Ruth. This short narrative serves as an excellent follow-up and a foil to our trip through the Book of Judges. The events recorded in Ruth take place during the same time in Israel's history, in the days when the judges ruled. The book of Judges has shown us a portrait of Israel as a whole, and it was a time of great unfaithfulness. But the Lord always preserves for himself a faithful remnant, people who cling to his promises even when idolatry surrounds them. And that's what we see in the book of Ruth, a faithful family even during a faithless time, and from this family. Even from the foreigner who joins herself to the people of the one true God, we will see that God is busy preserving the line of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Today's text to get us started into this wonderful book is Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It's always fun time.
0: As we get started this morning, Pastor Hall, not only with Ruth chapter 1, but with the book as a whole, give us some background information on the book, some of those basic things you might learn in a Bible class when it comes to, what's this book all about? What Do you know anything about author, date? Let's talk a little bit about that before we jump into the text.
1: One thing you always look at with a book of the Bible is who wrote it, and we don't really have a lot of information on who wrote the book of Ruth, and... That can be confusing sometimes, but we have other books in the Bible like this, like Hebrews. We can try to guess who wrote it, but we don't have absolute certainty. So if you look in your study Bible, you see under there it says, Author Unknown. Um, but one could say that this is someone who's recording the Word of God, that we may see this line continuing, because as the book ends in chapter 4, we see Boaz leading to Ovid, which leads to Jesse, which leads to David. So you see this beautiful theme running throughout the book of Ruth, of faithfulness. Ruth is a Moabite, and you have el I can never pronounce this guy's name, El-Elech, something like that. He and his wife travel to Moab because there is a famine in the land, so they travel there, and while they're there, his sons get married off, but then he dies, and then his sons die, and, and oh man, I just forgot her name. His wife's name, how could I forget this? Naomi. 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 I was like, where was I? <laughs> it's Naomi. I don't know. If it's, o- o- it's not Oprah. I always call her Oprah, the daughter in law, but that's not her name. It's o- how do you say o- I guess, is it?
0: Orpa is what Yeah, Orpah. Orpa.
1: Say. Orpa. You're I doing always all, said Oprah, because my mom
0: would... You're doing all the hard work for me, Pastor Hull. You're, yeah, you're just, I tell you. No, I can't mispronounce my it My mom
1: would read this to me growing up, and she would say Oprah just to make me giggle and laugh. And So now every time I get there, I think, you know, all of a sudden she's going to tell everybody to look under their seat because they all get a gift. You know, you get a book, and you get a book. Something like that. But that doesn't happen in the book of Ruth. I tried finding it. It doesn't happen. So you have Naomi, and you have these two daughters-in-law, and... It's just a fantastic narrative of God's mercy, and you see this great conversion in Ruth. She doesn't continue worshiping her false god. She, as we'll read in chapter 1, says, your God will be my God. And we have this beautiful story of conversion, like Luther always said, God will always find for himself a church, find for himself a people. And you see that in the book of Ruth. It's great stuff.
0: I appreciate you taking us already to the end of the book of Ruth, because that is something that we shouldn't lose sight of here, is that the reason that Ruth is a very important Old Testament narrative is because it does record for us the line of the promised offspring that was given way back in Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord is speaking to the serpent, and he tells the serpent that the seed of the woman is going to come, and he's going to crush your head. And throughout the Old Testament, that is the narrative that the authors of the Old Testament, whoever they are, the prophets, that's the way that the, the New Testament refers to the Old Testament when we don't know the author. So the prophet who wrote the book of Ruth, he's concerned with that above all else, this line of the promised seed, the Savior who is coming, and, and that's where the genealogy at the end of the book is so important. And I, that's one reason why I think it, it's important for us to read Ruth right after we've read Judges. Because in the book of Judges, sometimes that's not quite as apparent as what is happening with that line of the seed. And Ruth puts it right back in front of us, that this is what it's all about. And this is what the Lord is doing throughout the Old Testament, through the sins and the unfaithfulness of his people, through the faithfulness of his people, as we do see in this book. What is he doing? He's always preserving that line of the seed. And the book of Ruth gives that to us front and center. And we don't want to lose sight of that either, because as you said, Pastor Hull, this is a a nice little narrative, it's a great story, but that's the point, is to remind us this is where the line of the Savior is going, the Lord is indeed fulfilling that promise.
1: And, And that's why I, before I did this study today, I just sat down and read through Ruth. It's only four chapters, It could take you 10, 15 minutes just to read through it. You don't have to skim it. I mean, read it and then go back to chapter 1 and slow down and read through it. Because then you have the purpose of the narrative. You get to that ending, the genealogy. You see the faithfulness of Ruth, the compassion and mercy of Boaz. You see this blessed exchange language throughout it. So the whole book... Is you could say, oh, it's this nice story of a girl finding a husband. Yeah, that's great. But it's inevitably preaching and teaching you who Jesus is for you. And then, of course, we'll see Ruth's name pop up again in, in Matthew's genealogy, where he mentions both Ruth and Rahab. So we see a Canaanite a Moabite there in the mix of the whole genealogy. There in the mix, there Jesus didn't come to die just for one people, but for all people.
0: Right, lots, lots of important connections here in the book of Ruth that will take us into the New Testament. And as you said, always preaching Christ for us. So let's go ahead and start looking here in chapter 1. As you said, it is a very short book. It's only going to take us four days here on Sharper Iron to get through. We're going to take one chapter a day. The narrative really divides nicely like that into four small scenes. And so the first scene is chapter 1, 22 verses for us to consider today. So Ruth 1, verse 1 and following. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. All right, We'll pause there, Pastor Hull. So, the opening of the book, it's the days when the judges ruled. We don't know exactly where within that period it occurs, but it's during that time. And there's a famine in the land, and you've got an Israelite, who leaves with his family to go dwell somewhere else. Now, hopefully, if, if we know our Old Testament, this is ringing some bells where an Israelite leaves his country because of a famine. These these folks go to Moab. I guess the, the question we should talk about a little bit, Pastor Hall, is, is, is this the right move to make, to leave the promised land and go to a foreign country? What do you think?
1: Well, we see it recorded in the text, right? You see uh, Israel does this. There's famine in his land, so he travels away. Abraham travels away from famine. And you see God guiding them along the whole way. He's the one sending them this way. And this can be tricky for us. I, as I was reading it, I almost thought of the Church and how she has dealt with things now in this famine we're dealing with, um, as I talk to a lot of my church members, they, they say they miss a lot of aspects about church right now. They love that we have services still, we can worship together, but there's all these things they miss about worship, and it's kind of like, well, maybe we've made those things into a god. We've started worshiping these things falsely, and that's what's happening with the judges. You see falsehood constantly, worshiping false gods, rejecting God as the one true God, and as Luther will make the point in a lot of his writings, God will send you away or cast you out, make your life worse, even, in order that he can make it better. Not better in, like, a Joel Osteen way better, but better in the way that he desires you to have a greater life, the life that lasts unto eternity. So, I mean... This isn't—a lot of us would say this is a mistake, but no, it's not. This is God working out their salvation in a way that they can't understand. Mm.
0: I, I think I think that's a, a good way to look at this. Whether or not leaving the Promised Land for Moab was exactly the right thing to do, we could probably find reasons to say, yeah, that was the right thing to do, and also reasons to say, no, they shouldn't have done that. In In either way, though— the Lord is at work. He's directing the events toward the salvation of the people who are involved in this story and toward the salvation right. of the whole world as well. I mean, it's one of the amazing things about this chapter and really the whole book is the way that the Lord not only works for the people who are involved, but we see him taking those events and then working salvation for the history of the whole world. And this this one little Moabitess, Ruth, just from these actions of faithfulness on her part and being brought up into the story of God, I mean, she ends up with her name in the genealogy of Jesus, which is just a fantastic thing to see. And so I think, that, I think that's a good way to look at it, is to see, right or wrong, the Lord guiding the events toward the salvation of these people and the salvation of the world.
1: Exactly. And that's the thing, is that's why Habakkuk is such a great book to read, when he says, what are you up to, God? And God tells Habakkuk, I can't even tell you because you wouldn't believe me, <laughs> <which> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> so our, our job is to be humble before God, knowing that yes, he knows what is best for us, even when at, this, at that time we may think God is punishing us, hmm. uh, chastising us, hating us it may seem that way but in the end it is god loving us and put pardon me <laughs> putting everything to work that we may be saved
0: right right and so the fact that they they end up in moab is not unimportant and again we let's let's talk right or wrong again a little bit so they they go they go to moab and we should remember that the people of moab are related to the people of israel they can trace their family lines back toward relatives the people of israel go back to abraham and the people of moab go back to lot and his incestuous relationship with his one of his two daughters it, it's not a pretty story there in genesis 19 but they are related no they are they are related and and so they're related but at the same time the people of moab aren't people of israel they don't worship the one true god at least not not on the on the whole they don't and so we've got this israelite family elimelech his wife naomi his two sons they're from bethlehem they go to moab they start living there and the husband dies that's the first death in this chapter this is these are some pretty depressing verses really so far pastor hall but mm-hmm. then the oh, two yeah. the two sons take these Moabite wives. So not only are they now living in foreign territory, but now they're intermarrying with foreigners. Uh, again, Pastor Un, I know maybe it's going to be a similar thing, but is this a is this a faithful move? Is it not a faithful move? How do you, how do you take this intermarriage part of the text?
1: I mean, it's amazing you you see this in the book of Genesis a lot. Whereas I go find a son or a daughter, a husband or a wife for my child among my people, not wanting to mix in. And then you even look through the Joshua and God sending them into the promised land saying, Annihilate everybody, don't intermarry, don't do any of this, can you know, just get rid of everything that's false. And now you have these two <laughs> women that are married. And they are not of that that clean line, you could say. And this is God, and this is why those names are written in the genealogy. Maybe before someone sits down with Ruth, read through that genealogy of Matthew, and you see those names like um, Rahab and Ruth, but you also see Uriah's wife. God purposely saying, you can't look and see this perfect bloodline type thing. I didn't come just for perfect people to keep things clean. I came to dwell in the sewer to get down into the muck. I came to redeem you from your false gods, to call you out of that. And you see that with Ruth. She's called out of that falsehood. We are sent into the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world and living in the world. We are lights in the world, salt of the earth that continues to work that all people may be saved. God doesn't abandon the Moabites. You see here one of them, Ruth specifically, having salvation.
0: Right. You, you see Ruth, and, and we'll get there, It's it, this is that's one of the highlights of this chapter, is going to be Ruth's confession, the way that she will speak to Naomi in a little while. So you do see how the Lord does work through his people to bring others into salvation. And I want to I want to be careful with that though, Pastor Hall, because on the one hand, I don't think that the Lord calls his people to use marriage as an evangelism tool so that in the, in the old Testament, particularly you see how the Lord takes great care to warn his people from intermarrying with foreign nations. Now with Moab, there's no specific mention of Moab as one of those nations. He doesn't name very particular nations that they are not to intermarry with, and Moab is not listed. And so again, that's that's where we might have that conversation. Well, was this the right move? Was it not? Maybe we can't say for certain, but as, as you said, it's they're not Israelite. So we're we want to be careful so that we don't say that you know the intermarriage of christians with non-christians is like the right move for evangelism per se however i do think that the point is well taken that when that happens in this particular case the lord makes great use of it and he shows how he has come for all people not just the the purebreds but for for all of us for the for the mutts and the mongrels and and everyone who doesn't have this pure blood all of those who are sinners <laughs> that's who jesus (laughs) came for and and so he's going to to make use of this situation whether it was faithful or not the lord's going to make use of this situation and he's going to preach to us that that universality of the gospel and we're going to see it particularly in ruth
1: exactly and and that's the blessing of it and you're right when we look at things um we we don't i like the way you talk about it evangelism by marriage that's not how we operate I, I talk many times on how I desire my children to, when they do get married one day, to marry someone who is like-minded so they may encourage one another, and build one another up, be that individual that can bear the cross with each other and get through life together, the strife of life together. Whereas if there's a conflict in it, of, sorry, my daughter's desiring to, my attention for a second. But um, <laughs> uh, when there's that conflict there, then it can't be—could God work through it? Yes, but we shouldn't tempt God to work through it either. If God puts it there, fine, but we shouldn't take and try to determine God's will and say, God's going to do this, if that makes sense.
0: It does. Or to to maybe say it like this, we shouldn't take what is a descriptive text here in Ruth chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit is describing to us what happened— And turn it into a prescriptive text as if it's the Holy Spirit is prescribing to us this is the way that you necessarily should behave as a Christian we're not going to say that rather we're saying this is what has happened and this is how the Lord is making use of it in his overall history of salvation again for the people in the narrative itself and as we will see for the salvation of the whole world as he's working to bring Jesus Christ through this very family so, Pastor right. Hall, just so we don't lose sight of the this picture as a whole, this part of the text, just these first five verses, this isn't a very happy picture so far. We've been talking about a very hopeful narrative, and yet the first five verses, I don't think paint that picture just yet. And so if I if I can, just to enumerate some of them, first, we know it's the time of the Judges, and we've already seen in the book of Judges that the time of the Judges was not a faithful time for God's people. We've got a family who is making some choices that may seem questionable, at, at the very least. And not only that, but then people start to die. The, the husband of Naomi, Elimelech, he dies— these two sons who have gotten married, they die. And so by the end of verse 5, you've got three women left. You've got Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, and they're all widows. One of them's living far away from her homeland. By the end of verse 5, I mean, this is a pretty hopeless picture that we're seeing so far.
1: It's like a Paul Gerhardt hymn. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's very, it's, it's very... And I... Do we have any hymns based on Ruth, really?
0: That's a good question. I don't know.
1: I mean, like, you have all these hymns, I mean, like, verses that are key texts, you know, Romans 6 for baptism-type hymns, and obviously the Matthew 1 and 2, and Luke 1 and 2 for Christmassy hymns and stuff like that. But I can't think of Ruth. It's like, you see, you write this, and you'll see Naomi even later, you know, call me this different name, because God has been bitter to me, Mm. or has acted this way to me. Um, I was just talking with a, a great lady this morning. Uh, she's lost both of her parents in the last seven years, and just the grief that comes with it. And she said to me, you know, I know how you feel, Chris, it, it, or I know you know how I feel because I've lost my mother as well. And I said, well, I kind of know how you feel. I don't know exactly. And the reality is that well, we're both grieving. We both have crosses. We both have burdens. And That's why we have to be here for one another, because if not, we won't have that reminder from outside of us that Christ does love us, that God does love us, that He is not going to abandon us. Because when we look at our experiences, and that's really—I've been preaching this a lot lately—we must look at God by means of His Word, not by means of our experience. Mm. Because if you look by experience, especially these first five verses— God despises us, rather than cherishes us, and desires nothing but good for us eternally.
0: That, that's one of the great temptations of the devil, I think, is that we would judge what God thinks of us based on our experiences, rather than based upon his word. Because you're right, whenever we start to judge what does God think of me based on the way my life is going— well, sometimes, mm-hmm. some I mean, that, that's maybe the book of Job. And I, I do think, I actually had that in my notes later on, I think Naomi ends up very much like Job in the way that this chapter is going to end for her and, and the way that she mm-hmm. speaks. But if, if we're going to judge what God thinks of us, whether he loves us or not, based on our experiences, there will be days when I've got no trouble thinking that he loves me and he's on my side, but perhaps maybe even more often than not, I'm going to be thinking that he's not on my side, that that he hates me, or or maybe just somewhere in the middle, where I'm not really sure. I, I think maybe so, and if I keep doing the right thing, then then hopefully he will. And that's just a that's a really hopeless picture for faith to hold on to. Is is where I'm simply sort of wondering, well, what does God think of me? And and all these bad things are happening to me. If I don't have the Word, I'm just going to be wandering about, being tossed about by the the various winds and the waves, and it's only when I base my faith upon what God actually says in His Word that I can really have any certainty.
1: Well, exactly. And this goes back to your descriptive, prescriptive, when you look at the Book of Ruth, it starts really bad, and it ends really great! You know, she gets married and everything's fine. We also have to understand that happened for Ruth. It may not happen for you. Mm. Um, Annie, That the sun may not come out for you tomorrow. You may have months and years or even decades of despair and depression and anxiety and worry and burden, but that doesn't change the reality of your life with Christ. And that's what we have to keep in mind as well, because I, I, you can see some people, they'll take this book and turn it into like a prosperity-type gospel. Well, if you do what Ruth did, God will make sure your life is great. And he may make your life great here, but he may not. And you shouldn't base it on that either. You should base it on what his word says for you.
0: Right, and, and we should be clear, I mean, to be a Christian is is a great life. It, we don't want to we don't want to yeah. downplay that at all. But what does that greatness look like? Does it look mm-hmm. like wealth, prosperity, good health all the time? Well, no. It doesn't. And and that's the that's the reality. I mean, it, but the great thing about the Christian life is that when it doesn't look like health, wealth, prosperity, we have Christ and we have enough. Yeah. I pulled out I pulled out my What's it, the Lutheran Service Book Hymn Selection Guide that spiral bound book that CPH publishes Pastor Hall. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you use that with the one year lectionary or not, but I do with the 3. I think it's got both. But I don't see it I, does. I don't see anything in there. There's no there's no hymn verse or hymn hymn that at the bottom of the page would have Ruth referenced anywhere. So one we should challenge our, our listeners to write a hymn for Ruth, okay? Yeah. Write write one for us. And then two, you mentioned Paul Gerhardt and I think that that's a yeah. good a good thing to bring in bring up. That and the, the hymn that came to my mind for Paul Gerhardt that might help us a little bit is in Lutheran service book, it's it's number seven fifty six, Why Should Cross and Trial Grieve Me? Mm-hmm. And I mean it's just a, yeah. it's a fantastic hymn. If you've never sung it, sing it for sure. Oh. And uh, there's just so much there and and we're coming up on a break, but that it stands a four in Lutheran service book that I, I think gets it mm-hmm. what we're talking about, which says, From God's joy can nothing sever but then why? And this is what Gerhardt invites us to sing with him. For I am his dear lamb, he my shepherd ever. I am his because he gave me his own blood for my good by his death to save me. And the rest of that hymn talks about, you know, God will sometimes send us, send us days of gladness, sometimes days of sadness, but that fourth stanza really provides the foundation for this hymn. That How, how do I know that even when he's sending me a day of sadness, that, that everything is going to be okay that I'm going to live forever, it's because I've got Jesus. And that's what makes the Christian life joyful. I'll give you like a minute to respond, and then we'll take our break.
1: Well, no, that's exactly and when you brought it out, I knew you were going to say that hymn because it's (laughs) just a phenomenal hymn. That verse is fantastic. When we look at what is a good life for the Christian, it is a life with Christ. Where Christ is, there I am. Mm -hmm. And that is my blessing, and I desire everyone else to be there with me. So that's a, that's a pure evangelism, is I'm not doing it for numbers or doing it to feel good. I'm doing it because I know what a blessing it is for me. Therefore, I want my spouse, I want my children, I want my friends, I want everyone I know to know this blessing as well, that if I'm poor or rich, healthy or sick, I am joyful because of who Christ is for me. That I am reconciled, my friendly relationship with my Father in heaven restored because of Jesus. And there's nothing better than this. So that no matter how bitter the days, I am pleasant and at peace in
0: Christ. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 17th, and we are studying Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. We've got Pastor Chris Hull with us. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we looked at those first five verses where we meet the people in this account, and we've seen that this Israelite family who has moved to Moab, all the men have died. The only ones that are left are Naomi. Naomi and her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. So let's see how the text continues. We're in verse 6 of Ruth chapter 1. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. We'll pause there, Pastor Hull. A couple of things stand out in this part of the text. One that I don't think we should pass by too quickly, is there in verse 6. The situation seems pretty hopeless coming out of verse 5, but there's at least a glimmer of hope, I think, in verse 6, where Naomi hears that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. And not just the fact that he's given them food, but that language of the Lord visiting his people. This is pretty key language when we see that in the Scriptures.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and you you see this language come in, like, the Gospels, you know, the Lord has come and visited His people. And when you visit someone, it means you're happy with them. I mean, I I don't plan a visit to go see someone I'm angry with. I plan a meeting or something like that. But to go visit somebody, is someone I delight in their company, I want to do something for them and be with them, God visiting His people is because He takes delight in them. So he provides for them, giving them bread, giving them sustenance. And in this, the people of Israel, Bethlehem, specifically, are able to see the goodness of God, and they only sees this, and it reminds her. And that's kind of what we talked about already: is looking at how God acts, how He speaks His word to us. That's what grants us joy. He visits us to comfort us, to assure us that. He does care about
0: us. So Naomi's got this hope then this glimmer of hope. Now, she's she's not experiencing it fully yet at this time. And so she's got her two daughters-in-law, and she's concerned for them. She She wants them to be provided for. She recognizes that she can't provide for them, not without a husband herself. And one of the things that perhaps sounds a bit odd to us in our day and age is the way Naomi talks to her daughters-in-law concerning their staying in Moab rather than returning to Israel with her. And Naomi talks about how she doesn't have a husband to give more sons. And even if she did have a husband and she were to give birth to sons that very time, they'd have to wait for them to grow up and marry. Why, why, Pastor Hall, is Naomi talking like this? If, I mean, if in, a, in modern day times, it doesn't seem like a conversation that a widowed mother-in-law would have with two widowed daughters-in-law. What's the background here to what Naomi's telling them?
1: Well, she doesn't want them to be lonely like her, for one thing. And we see this, this sorrow being childless, being alone. She doesn't want that for them. Um, remember when we look at Even pastors from Genesis, when a woman was barren, that people would say, well, she's cursed by God. She doesn't want these two to be seen as that, cursed by God. Um, Today, it would be like, well, I need the company, I need the help, I need the support. And what we see with Naomi's language is very sacrificial language. She doesn't want them suffering the same life that she has.
0: Yeah, the sacrificial language, I think, is is important. Uh, one of the things that I, I think we should just introduce here, because it will become important later in the book of Ruth, in Ruth chapter 4, is that part of the background to what Naomi is talking about with her own sons potentially becoming husbands for these two widows is this matter of what's called leveret marriage, where if a, a woman had a husband who died, then it was potentially a brother who would step in and marry that widow in order to provide sons. And that, just as a way of introduction here, that's going to become a pretty important feature that we're going to need to know about later on in the book of Ruth. And so you see a little bit of background here, but definitely the the picture of hopelessness that these widows would have had at that time, we see that. And Naomi recognizes that she can't help her daughters-in-law with their hopelessness. Their hope is going to be found in finding a husband, and she realizes the best chance they've got for a husband is right there in their homeland in Moab, and so she says, stay here. I I can't do anything for you. And you get this back and forth where Naomi tells them once, they both say, no, we're going to stick with you. She tells them again, no, you really need to stay here because I can't provide for you. Orpah Goes her own way. Ruth, on the other hand, is going to stick around. And so, Pastor Holt, I, I think the the bulk of our conversation is going to center on what Ruth is about to tell her mother-in-law. But before we move on, any other features in those verses that we should see before we check out what Ruth is going to do?
1: No, and I'm glad you mentioned the exchange thing there. I did, that's why you're the host, man. I'm the guest. You're the host. You're the one. You're the one with all this stuff. I love it. But it's good because it. it It brings up the exchange language that you're going to get later on as well. This blessed exchange type of talking and all that. So it's fantastic stuff.
0: So let's see then. Orpah again has kissed Naomi, and she leaves at the end of verse 14. But the text says that Ruth clings to Naomi. And we continue now in verse 15. And she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. All right, well, we're going to pause there because, again, these words from Ruth are probably among the most famous in this book, and they're also very important within chapter 1. So Naomi sees that Ruth is trying to stay. She says to Ruth once more, go with your sister-in-law, stay here, and then we get this wonderful promise from Ruth in verses 16 and 17. So Pastor Hall, why is this such a key verse here in the book of Ruth?
1: One we see, and this is the big verse here, is, you know, your God, may your God be my God. And Ruth sees the life of, where's his name again, Elimelech (laughs) and Naomi, and this beautiful example, and she abandons her God, she abandons her false gods and clings to the one true God. Um... When people are—when con- God saves somebody, He saves them, body and soul, He saves them from their life. Our life is completely changed, and with Ruth, her life is completely changed in, in this interaction with Naomi. God it changes her completely, and where she goes, she will follow her. This disciple-type language, that she will go where this God is, And she's even taking an oath by this God. She's not saying, may the God that I have worshipped hold me to this, but may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death part me from you. She is confessing the faith of the one true God, and this has happened because of her being with Naomi and seeing this life. It's a great example for us when, um, as Lutherans, we hold to the examples of the saints and that our, the way we conduct ourselves is a great proclamation of the life we have with Christ. Um, we can't just go to church Sunday and then live like functional atheists throughout the week. We imitate Christ. We mirror Christ. Not, and not, and this is with good works, you know, but inevitably it's in being merciful and patient and forgiving and compassionate, being as Christ is to us praying that God be lenient to me, therefore we are lenient and forgiving to others. And with Ruth here, we see God claiming her whole life, and that's the best part. Um, One blessing I know you, Brother Apple, have, and I have, is being in the the greatest state in the Union of Texas. Not of Texas, as if it's own Union. Maybe one day it will be again, you never know. Um, But in Texas, we have a great jeweler James Avery, and they have a great wedding band that is this verse, whether you goest, I will follow. And that's the wedding ring I have. And that's the reality, is in marriage, your life has completely changed. It is a new life. It is a union. And Ruth is united, not just to Naomi, but now to the one true God as well.
0: That's the the key, the center of this promise, this oath that she makes to her mother-in-law, that your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. And I, I appreciate the way that you've brought out for us what this says about the witness that Naomi has given to the one true God. And I think really the whole family of Elimelech, this verse speaks toward that, that even as we were talking about this before the break, whether or not their move to Moab and their intermarriage with Moabites was the right move to make, they have not forsaken the faith, even in doing that. They have clung to the one true God. His word was a part of their own family lives, and that word that they would have spoken to each other now has been heard by Ruth. It has been believed by Ruth, according to the Holy Spirit, and I know there's perhaps some difference of opinion here in the way people will read Ruth and how much she really is confessing or, or not, but I'm I'm inclined to agree with you, Pastor Hall, that this is almost a, uh, conversion maybe isn't quite the right word, but, but a moment of this is where she confesses her faith in the one true God. And that's really what we should notice above and beyond all other things. And then of course the way that, as you pointed out, that confession does then influence her body and soul. This is who she believes is the true God, Yahweh the Lord. So what's she going to do? She's going to stick with his people. Just like those who are Christians, what do they do? They stick with the Lord's people, his Church. Um, And I think you're seeing all of this here just in this simple confession of faith from Ruth.
1: Well, and it's beautiful. Um, You see this language with um, uh, Peter and John. But, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this is uh, this is what discipleship looks like. It's following Christ. I want to be where Jesus is, and that yes, that is a divine service. That is worship. It's where His Word is. It's praying with your brothers and sisters. It's bearing burdens with each other. It's treating one another as we desire Christ to treat us. Maybe <laughs> and that's the fun part, right? Is treating one another as we believe Christ should act toward us, and that is merciful and gracious. And it's fun times,
0: right? And so. In that sense, Ruth is returning the favor to—I mean, that's not the right way to say it—but she's doing what Naomi has just done for her. Naomi has acted sacrificially toward Ruth in saying, you stay here. That's where things are going to be better for you from a physical perspective. Now Ruth is saying the same thing to her. No, I'm not going to stay here because it— Maybe it's going to be better for me from a physical perspective, but it's not going to be better for me from a spiritual perspective. I need to be where the Lord and his people are. And also in that sense, she's going to stick with Naomi. She's not going to leave Naomi to fend for herself. And and you know, I don't we're not doing this to to downplay Orpah by any means, but Orpah's left. And so now who does Naomi yeah. have left? Well, no one other than Ruth. And so what Naomi has first extended to Ruth, now Ruth is extending back to her. You see that love and compassion and care and concern that Christians have for one another here with Naomi and Ruth.
1: Well, exactly. And that's the thing, is we are always—we echo the love of Christ, and we echo the love that we share with each other. i said this many times in my sermons lately is when you're in church, you're here just to love each other. You're not here to bash each other. You're not here to ridicule each other. You're not here to get something out of each other. You are here to say, Christ has done this for me, therefore I'm here to do this for you. And you mutually console one another that way, right? That's how Luther talks in the small cult. That's one of the means of grace, is the mutual consolation of the brethren.
0: So we... Uh, this is... But... But Naomi and Ruth are, are women, Pastor Hall. So mutual consolation yes, know, of the, yes. of the, the sisterhood. sisterhood, the okay. sisterhood, okay. the, the sisterhood, yes, the
1: mutual consolation of the sisterhood. I kind of like that; it has a better ring to it. I like that. But, that's like, it's well, like I don't, I won't go too far that way.
0: That's so, like yeah. the the him sing and the her sing, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay.
0: So the, the and, mutual... and
1: that's on later. Yes, that's on later today. It's a fun time. Okay.
0: Very good. Very good. Yeah. Nice check,
1: little plug. Thank you. There, I appreciate. Check, it. Check out Zion
0: Lutheran <laughs> in Tomball their Facebook page for the him sing the her sing once a week. Right. So yeah, we yep. It's it's for for it's men fun. and women both, and and so we we see these two sisters in Christ, Ruth and Naomi. Now they they are going to stick together, united first and foremost. I mean, this is this is the amazing thing. I think is that not only are they united because Ruth has married one of Naomi's sons, and, and so there's that, that blood connection, but they're actually more closely united now because they share the same God, because they share the same faith. And how, I mean, how true is that for us today, that we are more closely united with those who are members of the Christian church than we are with those of our own family. And, and God, God be praised that so often our own family are all a part of the same Christian Church. But, but what a wonderful blessing to find that true uniting in Christ, uh, even across those family lines that Ruth and Naomi are experiencing right here.
1: Well, and, and it's such a, a blessed thing, uh, who is it? I think it was C.S. Lewis made the point that—no, it wasn't Lewis, was it? Luke? Man, I, I I was about to say I read too much, but I don't. I need to read more. Um, but I get confused easily, so that's not a blessing. Is Outside of the sacraments, the most precious treasure you have is your Christian brothers and sisters. Hmm. I think it was Lewis, because he uses this terminology, Christian brothers and sisters, and Luther didn't use that type of, of terminology too much. And that's the reality, is in our Christian brothers and sisters, we have these great gifts from God, gifts from above. They're here for us and we for them, and it's a blessed life.
0: So even in this rather hopeless situation that Ruth and Naomi find themselves in, they do have that blessed life. And I think that's going to bring us full circle to some of the things we were talking about on the first side of the program with Paul Gerhardt's hymn, as this text concludes. We're going to pick up again in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That's where chapter 1 concludes, our, the end of our text for today. So they get back to Bethlehem, Pastor Holt. It's been 10 years that, that, that Naomi's been gone, so that, that's a good amount of time, but they get back, everybody's talking about them. You can kind of imagine what that might be like, a small town <laughs> like Smithville, situation like this comes, everybody's <laughs> going to be talking about it. Uh, t- Tomball may be that small too, I don't know, probably not quite as small as yeah. it used to be. But anyways, Naomi's back, and the women of the town ask, is this Naomi? And Naomi starts talking about what they should call her, and I think this is the key of this particular section of text. What is Naomi, what's what's the point of her changing her name or inviting them to call her something new right now?
1: Names, it's amazing what names mean. I don't think we get this as much today. We all have our names, and that's just what we're called, but you see it all throughout Scripture. I, you know, I will give you a new name, or I'll put a new name in you, uh, look at uh, Jacob wrestling with God. God calls him Israel and gives him this new name. And with Naomi, it's like it's this confession. A name confesses something about you. And she's saying, God, I go away full. I've come back empty. God has dealt bitterly with me. Can you imagine being Ruth coming back? You're like, you know, I came back with you. What am I, chopped liver? You know? Um, but I, it's, it's, that's besides why I should go off on that tangent. But the reality is, she's saying, I'm a different woman than when I left you. God is dealing different with, differently with me, therefore all of you should deal differently with me as well. And this is how you—not that I'm asking you to treat me bitterly, but know that this is how I believe God is treating me. And it's just listening to our brothers and sisters. I'm listening to what they're going through how do they feel right now, this right distinction between law and gospel? Does this person need to be reminded of how much good they have, or do they need to be consoled and comforted in how much God has blessed them? Which one? And uh, going from there.
0: I think Naomi's words here, as I was reading them before our study, they remind me, at least in part, with the way that Job speaks, where he says, the Lord gives, Mm -hmm. the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's not that direct, what we get from Naomi here, but the fact that she continues to name him the Lord, she doesn't simply refer to him as God generically, and she also calls him the Almighty, I think we we see at least a recognition from Naomi that, yes, the Lord has, well, to use the words of Paul Gerhardt's hymn, the Lord has given her days of sadness, but he knows how best to bring those to an end one way or another whether it happens in this life or it happens at the resurrection this does remain in the lord's hands and while she now gives herself the name bitter it's not like she's forsaken her faith she she's still clinging i th- i think to the lord i don't I, I might be reading a little bit more into it than i should but but that's i mean that's what i see here is that almost that job type confession where she recognizes that even in this bitter moment her life does remain in the lord's hands Come what may.
1: Well, and I believe that. I mean, that's the thing is no one wants to be sad. No one wants to be alone. No one, I mean, you don't wake up in the morning going, man, I hope my spouse dies today and Mm. and I'm alone. I hope my son's died. I mean, no one, no one wishes. If you do, there's something going on there. Uh, But no one wishes this. Even sin, we don't wish to sin. We don't wake up in the morning going, man, I hope I commit that sin I haven't done in a while. Or, I hope I act this way. I hope I blew up on somebody. We lament, and that's something that we need to almost be taught again how to do, how to lament. And that's what she's doing right here. She's lamenting her life. And we lament because the lament is something that only the faithful can do. Because if you are not of the faith, then you just get angry, you reject, you despise, you don't repent. And live penitentially. You don't confess God is good; you confess that God is hateful, and has He dealt bitterly, bitterly? Man, I keep going differently and bitterly, bitterly with you. Yet at the same time, like you mentioned, brother, that He is still the Lord, the One who does all things for our good.
0: Pastor Hall, with just about two minutes here on the morning. We've looked at a lot of different themes here in this chapter. Summarize for us, wrap it up, point us to Christ crucified.
1: Inevitably, when Ruth says, whether thou goest, I will follow, this is who Christ is for you. Christ is the one that has gone down into the depths of your depravity the depths of the existence, the stuff no one else knows about, the deep, dark secrets. He's gone into that so that he may claim them as his own, assume them as his own, that he may make his God and Father your God and Father, that he may exchange all of your sin for all of his righteousness, all of your death for all of his life, all of your bitterness for his pleasantness, that you may be at peace that you may have joy, that though your life may be full of lament, there is bliss supernal awaiting you in the eternal dwellings because of what Christ has done for you. He claimed Ruth from an unfaithful people, so he claims you and I from an unfaithful people. He claims us as his own that he may be our God forever, and if our God, which he truly is, then he is our Lord who defends us, protects us, and keeps us safe from sin, death, world, and the power of the devil. He has claimed us as his own, he keeps us safe, and he will deliver you body and soul unto life eternal. Praise his name for that.
0: Pastor Chris Hall is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, helping us this morning with Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. Pastor Hall, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Brother Apple, it was a great time. Thank you for having me.